0: Monday Matinee, your weekly series of live plays, classic drama and comedy, and a variety of audio drama from the Mutual Audio Network.
1: The following audio drama is rated R and is recommended restricted for anyone under the age of 17.
0: Welcome to Season 14, Episode 574. I'm Jack Ward, purveyor of a plethora of pulp peccadellos in a podverse from pulpery Personas. Plainly put, this period of a performance is a penultimate prize of a production, a play parsed for pulpy probity by the planet of Pete Lutz.
2: And I'm David Alt. Um...
3: <laughs> Jack, is there a reason for the harsh, resounding alliteration this evening? Oh,
0: hi, David. I've been testing out some new dynamic microphones here in the studio and want to make sure my p's aren't popping all over the place. <laughs> oh, right. And you thought the finale of Pete Lutz's Pulpery
4: Theatre series would be the best place?
0: Well, don't say the finale. It makes me sad. I recognise Four Seasons is a huge landmark in the audio drama world. Mm. Goodness, none of my shows went Four Seasons. Yet, that. Jack, yet. Always the inspirational muse, my friend, always. (laughs) Tonight we have a rated R show as the series finale, episode 10 with Narada Radio's The Bird and the Snake as our feature. And a short extra of the incredibly popular Amelia Project afterwards. So we better get started, because it all begins right here on the Sonic Society.
2: This is
5: Polpourri Theatre, starring the Narada Radio Company. Tonight, The Bird and the Snake, the Potpourri Theater series finale.
1: This is Rhiannon McAfee of the Rex Riveter Private Eye audio drama series. Welcome to Pulpery Theater. Pete has asked me to introduce tonight's episode. Do you live in a big city? Are you a resident of an ethnic neighborhood? If you do, and if you are, that's something to be proud of. Your ancestral country's heritage might still be observed in your part of town. Think of New York. Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Miami. They all have places like Chinatown, Little Italy, Irish Town, Little Havana. But we mentioned Chicago, didn't we? And Chicago has Polish Downtown, the largest and oldest Polish settlement in the Windy City. This is where our story, The Bird and the Snake, takes place. And now, here's Lisa, our announcer, to tell us a
6: little bit more. Our play is adapted from a story by Clem Hanlon, first published in the November 1959 issue of Adam magazine. In a minute or so, we're going to meet our storyteller, Jerzy Sinkowitz, who lives with his mother in Polish downtown Chicago. Jerzy is a detective on the Chicago PD, and his fellow cops call him Sink. Sink's mother, Sophie, is an old-country Polish woman, often prone to spouting old sayings or seeing omens in things both good and bad. Like her Chicago neighborhood, Sophie is steeped in Polish tradition. Listen now to The Bird and the Snake.
2: polska
7: in all polish men is two kinds of animals is bird and is snake hmm.
5: <sighs> that was my ma Sophie Sinkowitz. She does this sometimes, makes pronouncements out of nowhere. She was slurping with great satisfaction from a bowl of coffee clotted with softened bread, which she held between her hands. She stopped right there as if this was all she had to say, as if she was satisfied with her statement. I knew better, so I kept my head low over my plate while I finished my supper
7: is also with women. <sighs>
5: hmm... At this, I looked up at her. Here, at last, was the nut of her argument. My eyes met hers across the table.
7: If snake is killing bird, is only left filth and rotten. If bird kills snake, is woman-good only for none, not for men. Hmm. Must be both together
5: equal. So, what's this got to do with Wanda Markova?
7: <sighs> Did you bought her a ring? I've been looking. But you give her something.
5: Not yet. Oh,
7: so Ben.
5: So get off my back.
7: Ah. All right. All right. Finish your supper. Go to work.
5: I'm finished. I walked down the hall to my bedroom, took my short, barreled thirty eight from a drawer. It looked impossibly small in my hand, but then everything did. I'd outgrown my childhood bed by the time I was 11, feet and shins hanging over the end like I don't know what. By 12, I was either ducking through doorways in our little house or smacking my broad, Pollock forehead on the top of the jam. I shoved the revolver into the holster at my waist, then sat on the bed to look at my face in the boy-sized mirror on the wall. Two small, perfectly round eyes looked back at me from deep in the hard meat of my face. I remembered overhearing my football coach in high school describe my head as looking like a cannonball balanced on the great boulder of my back. (sighs) I'd never been any good at football, other than my sheer size scaring the shit out of the opposing team. After high school, I'd gone into the police academy. Being a cop was where my size didn't get in the way. I was never very good at shooting this thirty-eight of mine and rarely drew it except in the presence of other cops on routine arrests. When I was by myself, I used my fists. Ma had the table cleared when I got back to the kitchen. She came over and reached up to pull my handkerchief into a point at my breast pocket.
7: Yeah, to see. Where you got to do tonight? You got to see that Yankowski?
5: No, nothing. Just a routine. I got to book a man down at headquarters. Paperwork. I'll be back at eight in the morning. Go on to bed.
7: Yankowski is a big man now. Sooner or later. <sighs> a rotten man. I sat near him in the church and from four rows away I could smell it rotten. Like a fish inside. Poof. There should be a law to keep him out of the church.
5: <laughs> All right, so I'll see the commissioner about it. Now go to sleep.
7: You don't got to do with Yankowski. Ma All right. Come down here.
5: Hmm. I stared out the windshield at the quiet old street as the car's engine warmed up. Old houses with high wooden fronts, a typical Polish neighborhood. It was quieter than usual this Monday night. Johnny Yankowski used to live in one of these houses not so long ago, 10, 12 years back, before he became Johnny Yank, before he got smart. I can still remember the day he left the neighborhood. I was just a rookie then.
4: You gotta wise up, Sink. Move out. Get with it. You gotta stop breathing this old Polak air. Don't get me wrong, we're great people, ain't we? The greatest on earth. The toughest. Nobody can fight like a Polak. But there's a whole world to play in. Get with it, man.
5: The way Yanid said it, it was like saying there's a whole world for the taking. And then there was that earlier time when we were kids, and Yankowski was slim, dark haired, wiry as an eel. That time Yanni led me down into a cellar where six other boys stood in the shadows, drooping, embarrassed, and a slim, blonde woman in her early thirties lay naked on a box spring, cursing at us, yelling at us.
1: How long I gotta wait, huh? You damn kid's chicken. Somebody come on and do it. I'm right here, goddammit.
4: Go on, Sink. She's waiting for you.
1: Oh my god. Look
4: at the size of this one.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank God for a live one. (laughs) Come here, Sonny. Come here.
5: I moved on to the box spring on top of the woman and took her the way a man would. But when it was over and when I was outside in the sunlight again, I, I felt my gorge rise. And I wanted to punish Yanni for the shame I felt, the smallness, the sense of loss... I wanted to hate Yankowski, but my guilt wouldn't let me, and I hated him all the more for that.
4: I knew you'd do it, kid! How'd you like that, huh? Ain't that something? I promoted that. I, Yani Yankowski. That's Lena Markova. Her husband works by the railroad. Four of us got to her one night a couple months ago. We had a bottle and she was home alone like always. She lets us in, because she thinks we're just kids. Ha! So afterwards, we tell her, if her husband finds out about us, he'll kill her. And it would disgrace her daughter, Wanda, forever. And it's true, he woulda killed her. So from then on, it's easy. Anytime so long as he ain't home. (laughs) Now we got a train, she can't do without it. One night down here, there was 10 of us. 10, how'd you like?
5: I swung on him then, roundhouse. Almost before he hit the ground, Yanni had a knife in his hand.
4: Goddamn you, Sink!
5: But it stopped there. We looked at each other for a long time and seemed to realize, together, that with the shame between us, it was not the time for killing. Not then. <sighs> but that was a long time ago. Christ, I'm getting to be like Sophie. I didn't have far to go, but I was reluctant to get there too quickly. I should have been feeling good, but I wasn't. The call had come through this afternoon, waking me up before my usual time.
2: Sink. Bring in Johnny Yank.
5: You got a summons, loot, Or you just want him for questioning?
2: Summons. Assault. Criminal. I think we can get him on rape, too. And maybe conspiracy. Depends on the witnesses. You know broads. They give you an affidavit when they're made, and then they clam up in court. Anyway, I think now we got enough on that bastard to set him back five years. Get him, Sink.
5: Yanni Yankowski, a.k.a. Johnny Yank. Small-time hoodlum, just edging into big-time. Extortionist, thug, procurer on a statewide scale. The lieutenant's order should have given me a good feeling. At the moment, though, I felt like I had a stomach full of bad sausage. It wasn't Sophie's cooking. It was hate that griped my gut. Not just the years-long loathing, collecting interest on the loan of shame from that incident with Lena Markova so many years ago. Not just the sick, guilty feeling I got whenever a hopped-up hooker got booked and admitted she worked for Johnny Yank, nor was it the anger that rose in me when I passed Johnny's house in the suburbs and saw Alice in the window. Alice, his slim, dark-haired wife, sitting home alone night after night, pretending that the world was a good place for her kids. No, it was none of these things that had my guts in a twist. It was something I'd heard, something I didn't want to believe was true. The case is finally cracked. One of Johnny's girls is singing like a canary. Holy crap, that's great, Luke. What made her go and do it? Johnny's girls are normally as tight-lipped as an undertaker.
2: The oldest motive in the world, Sink. Sheer female jealousy. She came to headquarters to tell us all about it. Because Johnny had kicked her out of his shack to work the streets and installed a new girl to take her place.
5: Huh. Well, I'll be. Uh, uh, Who's the new girl, did she say?
2: Yeah. I got it right here. Ah, some twist named Wanda Markova.
5: Wanda Markova? Wanda, the daughter of Lena, who Yanni had turned out all those years ago. Wanda who was my girl. Yanni had used Lena for something like 2 years while Wanda had been away at convent school, and then Lena had slashed her wrists one morning and the girl had come home to take care of her old man for a while. Rumors had gone around that Wanda had had a chance to talk to her mother a little bit before she died. Nobody knew why she'd killed herself, nobody but me and Yanni, and a dozen other boys, and maybe, just maybe, the daughter herself. Again I wondered, could it be true? Had Johnny Yank turned my girl into a whore? Was it something in the Markova women? What did Sophie call it? A snake? Something that Johnny saw that only a guy like Johnny knew how to find? Was it there in every woman, in every man? The thought made me shudder. Wanda had gone back to convent school after a while, and when she came back to the neighborhood, she was a beautiful woman, cool, fragile, and sensitive, and moved like a running deer. We started going together, and people were talking about a wedding not too far off. I was almost at Johnny's place. Not his house in the suburbs, but the flat where he ran his girls. The butt of the thirty-eight was digging into my gut, so I took one hand off the wheel to shift it a little. I thought of the drawer in my room where I kept the gun, right alongside a little velvet box that contained the plain, honest ring with the plain, honest rock I'd planned to place on Wanda's finger. How is it possible? There has to be a mistake! Still, Wanda's been putting me off a lot lately— with the excuse that her job with the City Welfare Bureau was keeping her busy.
8: No, Sink. I can't see you tonight, dear. No, not tomorrow either. Please, try to understand. I have so much to do. (sighs) So tired. So terribly tired. Please understand.
5: I'd been sitting in the shadows opposite Johnny's building for about 10 minutes when I spied Fallon, the beat cop, sauntering down the street on Johnny's side. Fallon was a good man, and I was supposed to notify him in advance of any action on my part, but I'd already decided to tackle this alone. It was a violation of regulations, but I didn't want anybody else getting involved. Johnny might not be alone. There might be some of his junior thugs around. Well, good. And maybe Johnny will resist arrest too, Let him try. Let him just once give it a try. Good evening, officer. Which apartment, sir? You know damn well which apartment and you should just go back to reading your science fiction murder mystery pal. Stay off the phone if you know what's good for you.
4: Um uh, yes, sir. We don't I we don't want any trouble with the police. dick. Sink. Buddy. Come on in. Have a beer.
5: Skip it, Johnny. I'm taking you in. Johnny's face twitched at these words, and his hand moved uncertainly toward the pocket of his dressing gown. Put the hand in. I kill you.
4: What the hell is this?
5: Yankowski went for it anyway, and I surprised myself with my speed. The edge of my right hand crashed into the curve between his neck and shoulder, and the smaller man folded in thick pleats on the floor. I pushed his slim frame closer to the corridor wall with my foot and entered the apartment. The main room was huge, brilliantly lighted, thickly carpeted, and stunk of cigarette smoke and booze. You meet me right here tomorrow
8: morning, and I'll bring you some canned milk for your baby You bring milk? first thing in the morning.
5: I walked over to the TV. Two pasty-faced hoods in easy chairs had their eyes glued to it. One spied me out of the corner of his eye, but didn't turn his head to see who it was.
0: Who
4: gets to go next, Johnny? I'm losing track. <laughs> hey, what gives? Get out. Just who the hell are you, asshole? I said, get out!
5: The two hoods backed away from me and started for the door.
0: Hey, what's all the racket? Oh, uh, whoa, hey, who are
5: you? Don't move, dirt. Come on back out of the bedroom and get with the other lice. But what's the big idea? It's a pinch. Go. I said it. Go.
0: But I ain't even got my clothes on, for Christ's sakes.
5: Hey. Get out. Go on. Get out, all of you. I followed them back down the corridor and watched them go. Then I looked down at Johnny Yankowski, just starting to stir on the floor. I prodded him with the toe of my shoe. No response. I walked back to the bedroom and stood in the doorway. It wasn't so much a bedroom as it was a workshop of sorts for Johnny's particularly nasty kind of work. It was carpeted the same as the main room and had mirrors running down all the walls. Even the windows had hinged mirrors on them so they could be opened. I looked up and saw mirrors on the ceiling too. And against one wall was a movie projector aimed at a screen just beside the door. A whip lay on the chair. The lights were dimmed and the projector was showing a stag film with no sound. I could see a reflection of it in the mirrors. A depiction of a nude woman exacting incredible obedience from a very large dog. When I stepped into the room, the naked girl on the bed didn't see me. The sheet was drawn up like a scarf between her bare legs and had passed between her small, pointed breasts. She chewed numbly on a corner of the sheet, her eyes fixed on the movie flickering on the screen. I walked in and casually knocked the projector off the table, then flicked the lights on.
8: Ah! Why'd you go and turn that off? Wanda. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I didn't want this to happen. Believe me, Sink. I swear to God, I never thought this would happen. I didn't want... I... (laughs)
5: Wanda covered her face with her hands, her elbows keeping the sheet tightly against her body. The convulsive laughter gave way to deep, choking sobs. Wanda, take your hands down. Wanda, take your hands down. (sighs) Tell me about this. You got to tell me. How long has this been going on? What happened to you? What did he do to you? (sighs) Wanda, you got to tell me. You don't want I should take you in.
8: Yes. 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 Take me in. Please, Sink. Take me in. Shoot me. Do anything. (laughs)
5: Wanda, there were doctors, you know, for when you were in trouble. Nobody has to know about this. You can get fixed up. It's no shame to be psycho.
8: Psycho? (laughs) Psycho? That's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Would you call my mother psycho for what she did? Do you think I don't know about all that? You think she didn't tell me about all that before she died? All the names... All the details?
5: Wanda, for Christ's sakes, I've been trying to make up for that all this time.
8: Make up? You mean you wanted to marry me because you were ashamed? That's why?
5: Wanda, listen to me. Maybe in a way it was my fault your mother died, but not all my fault. But all the same, I love you.
8: Love me? Let me tell you something, Mr. Policeman Sinkowitz. You want to know why my mother killed herself? Not because she was ashamed, but because Johnny Yank wouldn't come to her anymore. Because he threatened to tell my father if she kept pestering him. And I'll tell you something else. I wanted to find out if I was like my mother, so I let him take me out. A couple of months ago, I let him do whatever he wanted with me. And now I don't want him to stop. He found something inside of me I never knew was there. He found an animal. He beat me like an animal.
5: He made me do- Wanda! God forgive you, you don't know what you're saying.
8: The hell I don't! You think I want to marry you? You think I want to live in a little wooden house and mother your children, and all the time, I'd have to forget, forget about my mother, forget what's inside of me, forget what Johnny knows how to do? Wanda
5: was standing up now, standing naked on the bed, Her long blonde hair streaming down in front of her face, screaming down at me as I sat on the bed. Her thighs were at eye level with me, and their bruises and welts swayed before my eyes. I thought she was about to stumble in the tangle of sheets, so I reached out a hand to steady her.
8: That's it! Touch me! Harder! Harder! Be a man!
5: Wanda,
4: for God's sake, not like this! Wanda, get away from him.
5: I can see in the mirror that Johnny Yank was standing there, in the doorway. His face was twisted in pain. He held a revolver in one hand, and with the other tried to keep it steadily pointed at my back.
4: Don't turn around, Sink. Wanda, I said, get away from him.
8: What are you going to do, Johnny?
4: I'm going to kill him. That's what you want, isn't it? Isn't it, Wanda? Wanda, are you my girl? Yes. All right, now get out of the way. Didn't you say you wished he was dead? Didn't you say that as long as he lives you're gonna feel ashamed. Mm
5: Mm-hmm.
4: Now I'm gonna take your shame away. From now on, it's gonna be all right. Do you understand? Me and you from now on, okay? Mm Mm-hmm.
5: Johnny took a step forward and raised his gun. Just as he pulled the trigger, I threw myself off the bed, reaching for the 38 at my waist as I hit the floor. His bullet missed me, but... (gasps) I looked up from the floor to see Wanda's body fall across the edge of the bed. The upper half of her body was hidden from me, and her legs were still on the bed. I crab rolled quickly and hooked my toe around Johnny's ankle, bringing him down to the floor next to me. Oh, goddammit! Before Johnny could raise his hand for another shot, I brought the hard edge of my hand crashing down on the bridge of Johnny's nose. It was a killer blow, and I meant to kill. I felt the thin bones crush beneath my hand, felt the edge of the septum driving like a knife blade into Johnny's brain. I pushed his corpse aside and crawled around the bed. (sighs) Johnny's single gunshot had blown the whole side of Wanda's face away. with one thing and another, but it was a long time before I was done. I had to wait for the ambulance and then make a report for the coroner. I had to inventory Johnny's apartment for the records, and when the whole business was done, write the entry for the blotter in stolid, unemotional department ease. Finally, at about five in the morning, I squeezed myself onto a cot in the squad room and caught a few winks. At 8 a.m. I rose and drove over to Johnny's house. I waited in the car a few minutes until I saw Alice shoo the kids off to school. <sighs> Hi, Alice.
9: I think... in. I just made some coffee.
5: Alice knew why I was there and she took the news pretty good. Considering the fact that she had been living in a nightmare and the nightmare was now over, she took it very good. An hour later, because I was running late getting home, I used Alice's phone to call Sophie. Soph, I'll be home in a little while.
7: Where are you? By Alice Jankowski?
5: Yeah, how'd you...
7: They got it on the radio. Listen, Yersi, see, I didn't want to tell you about Vanda, but I knew it for several weeks. From the vegetable man, I heard it. You know, he's got that crude chick kid who delivers for him and then. Yeah,
5: he... so f- forget it. It can happen to anybody.
7: It's like I said, in everybody is like that. It's bird and snake. Mm, so you shouldn't be too ashamed. You shouldn't punish yourself too long.
5: <laughs> My ma, did she know everything? Had she always known? Lamely, I sputtered, Well, well, well I'll, I'll, I'll be home in a little while.
7: Don't hurry. Alice, I knew her mama. Is good woman, Alice. Good Polish woman. She was too strong for him. He couldn't ruin her. Does she give you coffee?
5: <laughs> As if Sophie could see me, I grinned at the telephone then looked across at pretty dark-haired alice who smiled nervously in return <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i'm drinking coffee with her now
6: That was The Bird and the Snake, the 10th and final episode of Pulpery Theatre, Season 4, adapted by Pete Lutz from a short story by Clem Hanlon. In tonight's cast, Jerry Eliff as Sophie Sinkowitz, Pete Lutz as Sink, Nick Womack as Johnny Yank, Kevin Schuster as the Lieutenant, Christian Ferris and Derek Lutz as the Hoods, George Hatfield as the Naked Man, and Jessica Matthews as Alice. Your announcer was Lisa Ayala. The Bird and the Snake was first published in the November 1959 issue of Adam Magazine. Tonight's episode was, as always, produced and directed by Pete Lutz. And now, here's Pete with some final words.
5: Thanks, Lisa. Before I go too far, I need to announce a couple of cast changes. Some very special and talented people came in at the last minute to replace a few of our actors in the original cast. That's Derek Lutz, who played the role of the doorman as well as one of the hoods. Rachel Craig of Evil Kitten Productions, we'll be talking more about her in just a moment, who played the role of Lena Markova. And Ebony Rose, who stepped in to play the role of Wanda. Thanks to all of you. Now I want to thank some special people who made this final episode of Pulpree Theater possible. First, Rhiannon McAfee, who introduced our episode. You can find the show she directs and co-stars in, Rex Riveter, Private Eye, at iTunes, and your favorite podcast provider. Next, Rachel Craig of Evil Kitten Productions, who provided the voice of Lena. We just mentioned her a minute ago. Rachel and her husband, Will Snyder, produce another gumshoe podcast, Neon Nights, The Arcane Files of Jack Tracer, also available on iTunes and elsewhere. Last but not least, well, let me ask you. Didn't you love this episode's theme song? Wasn't it absolutely evocative of 1950s and 60s noir films? Well, that was the magic of Catherine Seaton, who composed our theme plus all of the incidental music for tonight's episode.
8: Congratulations. You've reached the Amelia Project. This phone call isn't happening. If you're not serious about this, hang up. Now. You sure about this? If you hesitated, do not proceed. Still there? If you continue, there's no way back. The choice is yours. Good choice. A new life awaits. You'll hear back from us within the hour. If you do not hear back... Please consider the whole thing a hoax. Leave your message after the beep.
10: Gosh, what an introduction. Very mysterious. Am I supposed to be scared, is that it? Anyway, I hear you're the best, and that's what I want. Prove it. Prove you're the best. I have a job for you. No need to go into specifics, not yet. That'll wait until we meet. This is just to say, I'm here. I'm serious, I can pay. Show me you're real and serious too.
7: Deal?
1: Call me.
9: Amelia Project by Philip Thorne and Eustein Braga With music and sound design by Frederick Baden Episode 1 Elizabeth Barlow
3: It's go time. Ah, welcome. I've been expecting you.
10: Do you mind if I smoke?
3: Go for it. Do you mind if I blow bubbles? Excuse me? It helps me think. Right. Congratulations.
6: What,
10: what
3: for? One in a million find our number. More than half hang up before the beep. We get back to about one in ten.
10: I see. So why me?
3: Hmm. Time will tell. You're odd. Good odd? Odd, odd.
10: This isn't what I was expecting.
3: What were you expecting?
10: I don't know. Something elite. Something big and fancy. Wow! Did you see that bubble?
3: Sorry. Yes. Elite. Fancy. Good, good, good. You won't be disappointed. Shall we get down to business? That would be nice. Just some official bits and bobs before the fun begins. Name? Elizabeth. You have a surname? Barlow. Married? (laughs) Your husband cheated on you.
10: Well done, Sherlock.
3: Is that why you're here?
10: Yes. Ugh. What?
3: Security! Security! Excuse me. What, what the show, Mrs. Barlow? The way out, would you? Let it was a me. sincere sensation. I... Must do it again sometime. Now, aren't you hot? Cheerio!
10: Put down that baseball bat, or I'll taser the shit out of you! Ah!
3: Oh, bravo, Mrs. Barlow. That was excellent. This is mad. Joey? Joey? Salvatore, you can leave. Oh, and bring me a cup of cocoa. Would you like anything, Elizabeth? Can I call you Elizabeth?
10: Yes. And no, I don't need a drink. I'm fine. What, What was that about?
3: Sorry. I thought you weren't Amelia material. I was wrong. Sit back down.
10: What do you mean, not Amelia mati- Oh, I can pay. Didn't I make that clear? Money's not an issue.
3: Money's good. Money's a start. A start? What else do you want? You know, Kierkegaard, um... boredom is the root of all evil. I refuse to be bored. <sighs> Most people who want to disappear are so boring. Small-time crooks and people trying to cash in on their life insurance. So dull. I don't waste my time with that kind of thing. I only take on cases that capture my imagination. It seems you're bringing me a domestic squabble and, well, they're usually so boring.
10: You'll hear me out anyway. I promise I'll make it interesting. You'll find me a very demanding customer.
3: Ah, Salvatore. Grazie mille. Elizabeth Barlow, you fascinate me. Tell me your story. I'm all ears.
10: It was Rupert's fortieth, and I organized a surprise party. I invited everyone we know. Family, friends, neighbours, colleagues. Rupert didn't have a clue. He's on his way home and I tell the guests to be quiet. I call him in his car and put him on speakerphone so the guests can hear. Rupert, honey, I'm so sorry. I've been called out for work. Won't be back until late. You're going to have to spend your birthday evening alone. There's fresh lasagna in the fridge and a bottle of Pinot Noir. I'll make it up to you, I promise. I hang up. And we all run into the hallway to take up our positions. Streamers and champagne at the ready, waiting for the door to open. We wait. And wait. And wait. What on earth has happened to him? Has he had an accident? I'm scared sick. Hardly dare make the call. When I do, he picks up immediately. Sounds cheerful. What are you doing? I ask. Oh, just chilling on the sofa watching QI. The lasagna is excellent. Then I noticed everyone staring at me. The speakerphone was still on.
3: Well, stuff me like an olive. That is embarrassing.
10: Embarrassing? It's more than embarrassing. He humiliated me in front of everyone I know. What did you do? I sent him a text. Get the fuck home. Twenty minutes later, the door opens and we chuck streamers and confetti. You went ahead with the party? An excruciating five hours of pretending everything was okay. Grinning, toasting, celebrating Rupert.
3: (sighs) Throw this cup. What? Why? It'll make you feel better. No.
10: She's called Tiffany, 26, a junior analyst at Goldman's. They're getting married. Okay, give it here.
4: Ah!
3: Nice
10: throw. Thanks. Do you want the pot too? Do you know what the most insulting thing is? The day we signed the divorce papers, he bought me a Lamborghini. Which is bad because... He wants to stay friends. Thinks he can buy himself out of being an asshole. Well, Lamborghini is a Lamborghini. Oh, please. I'm sure it hardly made a dent in his bonus. He's not letting me keep the house. He's not that generous. I have to be out by the end of the month. Make space for Tiffany.
3: At the moment you're in the house and he's with Tiffany? Yes. And he wants to be friends? Yes. Hmm. How can we help?
10: Everything in his life is so... Easy. I want to shake him out of his complacency, make him suffer. I want him to see me die. A horrible, messy death. I want him to realize he can't pay his way out of this one. Some things have consequences. In that case, may I suggest suicide? Yes. Suicide is good. How about an overdose of tranquilizers?
3: You call him and tell him to come over immediately. He finds you unconscious on the bathroom floor. Joey and Salvatore burst in posing as paramedics. We'll be waiting right outside, in a van, and have your stomach pumped in no time. We'll tell your husband you died. We'll say it was painful.
10: Mm. I was thinking perhaps something nastier.
3: Well, an overdose can be pretty nasty. Lots of vomiting.
10: I don't want to vomit.
3: Hanging? You could dangle outside your husband's office window. Goldman's tower has a nice parapet. Good to hang a rope from. You knock on the window, he looks up and sees you there dangling by the neck. Salvatore cuts the rope and you plummet. The parachute opens at the very last second. Joey waits down at the bottom with the van.
10: Could work. But I think we can go nastier.
3: Hmm. Ooh, tell him you want to stay friends. Arrange to meet at a fancy restaurant. Smash your wine glass and use the shards to slash your wrists. Joey and Salvatore dine at the next table. They'll whisk you off to the van to get a transfusion. But make sure you get blood all over the table and your husband first.
10: Nastier.
3: Well, hmm. Um, ooh, ask him to come round and put up some shelves in your new place. It's the least he can do after evicting you. Grab the drill and put it to your head. Or better, shoot yourself with his nail
10: gun. He won't forget that. All these ideas make me look desperate. I don't want it to look like I'm acting on some crazy whim. It has to be cool-headed. A conscious choice. I want to be in the driver's seat. Hmm... I do have an idea. Yes? It might be impossible.
3: For Amelia, nothing is impossible.
10: I arrive at Tiffany's house, in the Lamborghini. I attach a long chain around the tree in the driveway. I attach the other end of the chain around my neck. I ring the doorbell. I get back into the car. As soon as he answers the door, I wave... And put my foot on the accelerator.
3: Decapitation. Impossible? Not at all. Ripping your head off actually makes our life much easier. A mangled head means the replacement corpse only has to match your body from the neck down. Our guy at the mortuary shouldn't have any difficulties with that. It's the head that's always the trickiest to fake.
10: And you can get me out of the Lamborghini in time.
3: It won't be you in there in the first place. Once you've rung the bell, you come over to the van. We'll be parked just outside the drive, posing as plumbers. You can watch your husband come out and enjoy his reaction. Excellent. Have you thought about how you'd like to resurface? Of course. We offer a broad range of different disguises and locations. Shall I get the catalogue?
10: I'd like to come back as a man. Excuse me? I'd like to come back as a man.
3: Are you serious?
10: You said you wanted a challenge.
3: Yes, quite. Well, that'll involve gender reassignment surgery, testosterone injections, hormone therapy... Can I ask you why you want to come back as a man? (sighs) To seduce Tiffany. You want to wreck Rupert and Tiffany's marriage? Yes. Just to be clear, we can arrange your death. We can take care of your reappearance as a man. But after that, Amelia is no longer responsible. We can't organise the seduction for you.
10: Oh, I'll take care of that.
3: You sound confident.
10: Just think about it. I'll be a man, but with a woman's knowledge. A man who knows exactly what a woman wants... I'll be the guy every woman dreams of. I'm going to be irresistible.
3: Elizabeth Barlow, it's a pleasure doing business with you. Which reminds me, there's still the matter of payment.
10: Well, I could just write you a cheque.
3: Cheques are fine. I could do that. Otherwise, we also accept cash, card payments, and bank transfers. What about assets? Um, that's not usually how... But
10: you'd consider it? Um, well,
3: if the value of the asset is about... What about
10: two and a half million? Mm. That would work. Good. Here are the keys to our house. Front door, side entrance and conservatory. These are the codes. If you enter using the front door, the control panel is on your right, just behind the Ming Dynasty vase. You have 15 seconds to type in the code before the alarm goes off, so be quick. Here's a swipe card for the garage. Rupert's Ferrari is at Tiffany's, but the Bentley and the Jaguars are all there. The wine cellar leads off just from the garage, but don't waste your time with that. The investment wines, the Margot and the Chateau Lafitte are kept in the cooler in the living room. You'll need a code to open that. Here you go. There's also a display cabinet in the living room with a rather fine Wedgwood collection and a complete Roger Pilkington set. It's unique and very fragile, so not a job for Joey and Salvatore, I'd suggest. We don't have much to offer on the art front, I'm afraid, but there are some boccionis which are quite nice, and a Paul Klee, which is ghastly, but Rupert has assured me it's ridiculously expensive. Don't forget to strip the beds. The sheets and covers are custom-designed Springfield. Make sure you don't just go for the obvious stuff, the 152-inch plasma, the Bang & Olufsen speakers, Maria Theresa chandeliers, but also the small things. Fittings can be surprisingly valuable. We recently had all the doorknobs, handles and light switches replaced. Some of that stuff clears a tidy sum, which reminds me you wouldn't believe how much the hydrenders in the greenhouse are worth. Out of this world, I suggest you take a look. Are you making notes? I don't want you to forget anything.
3: The session is being recorded. Why? We keep an archive of all our clients.
10: As long as it's under wraps. Of course. The address. 16 Arkwright Avenue, Richmond. I want Rupert to come back to a house that's been stripped right down to the last exclusively sourced designer light bulb.
3: At Amelia, your every wish is our command. Perfect. I'm looking forward to this one. Your case is most amusing.
10: I'll be outside Tiffany's house at 10am tomorrow, 22 Bassett Street, Belsize Park.
3: We'll be there in the van.
10: Don't be late.
3: Don't have second thoughts.
10: I won't. Good. What if I do... What? ...have second thoughts. But you won't? No. Good. But in theory... Theory is so boring.
3: Who wants to waste their time with theory? I have no patience for theory. Anyway, it's time to celebrate. Is it? Yes. A toast to your death.
10: Can we toast my reappearance instead? If you prefer. I think I would.
3: Joey, if you're conscious, bring us two fruits for the champagne,
10: please. Oh, champagne.
3: Oh, and don't worry. I'll make sure the lady doesn't hurt you. (laughs) You made quite the impression on them.
10: I don't think you're supposed to
3: shake. Now would be a good time to put your fingers in your ears. One, two, watch it. Oops. Oh. Scusi
10: per favore.
3: A glass of bubbly?
10: Now, those are the kind of bubbles I can get on board with.
3: Cheers. To a new beginning.
10: To a new beginning.
9: The Amelia Project is produced by Imploding Fictions in association with Open House Theatre Vienna. This episode featured Alan Bergen as the interviewer, Samantha Lawson as Elizabeth, Julia Morizawa on the answerphone, and additional voice work by Christine Thorne. It was written by Philip Thorne, directed by Philip Thorne and Oestein Braga, and edited by Philip Thorne and Phil Anderson-Dyer. Music and sound design by Frederick Baden, graphic design by Anders Piresen, production coordination by Julia C. Thorne. This episode was recorded at Tonegeber Studios with the assistance of Gabriel Geber. Sound effects from Freesound. Individual attributions can be found on our website. A massive thank you to Phil and Ali Anderson-Dyer of Bunbury Banter Theatre Company for audio consultancy. And thank you to Sirach Lotz for providing sandwiches.
10: Hi there, I'm Oysten. And I'm Philip, and together we write and produce The Amelia Project. We wanted to thank you for listening to the very first episode of The Amelia Project. If you enjoyed the show, please do let us know. You'd be making our day by leaving us a short review on iTunes. If you'd like to see this episode performed live, join us for our launch party. It happens at Café Teatra in Oslo on the 2nd of December this year as part of Imploding Fiction's 10-year anniversary. That's Café Teatre. 2nd of December 2017. It's going to be a fun night with drinks, comedy, music, poetry and of course readings from the show. So turn up and it's all free. More info on our website at ameliapodcast.com. On our website you can also find out how you can support our show. In return for your support you can get some very special Amelia gifts – such as a top-secret document outlining exactly what happens when the Amelia van pulls up at 10am outside 22 Bassett Street. We can reveal it doesn't go exactly as planned. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you soon for episode two. Buttermilk pancakes or crepes?
3: Honey? I said buttermilk pancakes or crepes? Righty-o, surprise coming up.
1: Oh, shoot. I'm still make it?
4: Don't worry, I'll get it.
3: And that's this week's show Thanks for joining us as always And continue the conversation through SonicSociety at gmail.com Our email address Or connect with us through the Facebook group Or Twitter at SonicSociety Or at AstroTour2010 Until we return next week for our
0: Halloween extravaganza From Lightning Bolt Theatre of the Mind I'm David Alt, And I'm Jack Ward
8: Good night Night
0: This has been an Electric Vicuna production.
1: You can listen to
8: classical and brand new audio dramas through the Mutual Audio Network. Subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or iHeartRadio today. There's eight different podcasts, one for each day of the week and genre, and the Mutual Audio Network broadcast feed so you don't miss a day of your favorite shows. Subscribe to Mutual Audio tonight. Good night.